Do I always show up on time? (laughs) No. But I show up when it counts. Guys, it's days like this. It's hard being the number one meteorologist in Austin, Texas. You know, I, I, I don't like to report on the weather, but it is my duty as the number one meteorologist in Austin, Texas. And guys, it's cold. Y'all, it is cold. And it's only going to get colder. I have no idea why. December is pretending to be February. Um, tough stuff here. I would say bundle up. Just just a pro tip from me to you. If you're here in Austin, Texas. I guess like um, also... Uh, I refuse to look at the rest uh, rest of the map of the United States. It, I, I'm more of like, um, I, I think about weather spiritually, but not scientifically, which is why it also, it's probably why I am the number one meteorologist in Austin, Texas. Uh, welcome to the Sick Palette podcast. I'm your host, Deepa Shree there. And guys... It's December 20th, which, as you know, (laughs) all of December, we're talking about Mezcal. And this is, you know, someone might say, hey, is this not the first episode? Seems a little late in the game. And to that, I say to you, what is time? Sounds like you look at things scientifically. Or at least mathematically. Or linearly. is I'm not going to look up if that's a word. We're, we're already, we're too far, right? Um, so I, I still do want to do about three to four episodes on Mezcal. Um, so so we, we might be dipping a little bit in January. But, you know, I don't, I don't think... Um, Anyone, anyone is going to be too upset if, if we keep talking mezcal before, before we swing back, swing back to wine. Um, I feel like I have read, I've read conservatively about 12 different articles on mezcal because it, okay, let me back up. I I felt like I was about to dive in. And, um, just, just let me, let me do a little preamble right here. So first off, when I was thinking about what I want sick palette to kind of look like in 2023, um, listen, we are working on consistency schedule. Uh, I think, I think, I think certain things are starting to be hammered out. So that way we can stick to said schedule. So that's number one. Number two, um, what I've so far, like in, in the little amount of time that I've started learning about wine and then, um, you know, learning about gin and then just sort of diving a little bit more into the liquor world, there is a really interesting distinction when it comes to spirits 
versus wine in, in, in their origin story. And just like everything else in the world, literally everything in the world, it all comes back to, say it with me, guys, roll your eyes, the people who are tired of hearing me say this, colonization. You know, we should do like a secret drinking game um, where every time I, I mention colonization, colonialism, I mean, no then I feel like we're all going to be on the floor. Scratch that idea. If you are going to do that idea, don't, don't like drive. <laughs> do they have a phrase for that? Uh, you know what? I'm just going to make one up right off the dome. Don't drink and drive. TM, deepest tree there. Um, the distinction is that the origin story of wine feels really clean in a way feels really easy um to sort of route there's there's really sort of just reliable dates um ideas ages um basically just even like tracking um the idea of fermentation through wine is is pretty well known and the fact that wine kind of lands traditionally um, in the fine dining world because because the predominant you know owners of this of this particular industry are European are um, or European descent um, and white. Here is what's really interesting when you start looking up things about liquor is even though, you know, liquor is just generally speaking a huge business, the origin stories are so hazy. And I think, I think it's a couple things, okay, because um, liquor in its modern form had to continue to be, um, had to, had to continue to be improved and evolved, um, and just and went through so many stages, like the iterations of where it came from, right? For instance, gin used to make you maybe blind. Um, so there was a few things of like, sort of like, let's get into the best practices of how how should we make gin, preferably without sawdust. Uh, the sawdust will aid if you are looking for a gin to blind you. Just just a little hot tip. Wow, a lot of pro tips in this particular podcast. You are welcome. Um, yeah, so essentially, uh, it had to be improved upon. So that so fine, we'll chalk that up to the game. That's just how that goes. Okay, fine. The other thing is, a lot of um, old world distillation. We're not talking about the sawdust, but uh, distillation and spirit origin comes from brown and black communities. So I find it interesting that when I'm trying to figure out exactly how, for instance, today's case, Mezcal came to be, uh, it, it, it really kind of depends on who the narrator is, you know? Um, so I'm going to do my best. So I read about 10 to 12 different articles on Mezcal. And listen, Getting ready for this particular podcast felt really daunting, and I really, I really hope, you know, I'm, 
I'm getting, I'm landing somewhere accurate. And I think that's one of those disclaimers that I got to put on any of these spirit-based podcasts is we're trying to just land close to what we feel the truth is. Because at least in the research that I'm doing, there are not a lot of reliable narrators. Um, and so we're, we're sort of piecemealing this together. And that, that's just, that's just the truth of the whole fucking thing. Okay. So let's, let's start to dive in, right? Let's get it. I said, let's get it. Like I'm a, a Peloton instructor. I, I will now start telling you about the things I've learned about Mezcal and I will pretend that I'm not teaching a CrossFit class. You are welcome. So before we get into where Mezcal got its big start, what is it, right? Um, if you're in Austin, you're, you're probably very familiar with Mezcal. And of course, if you're in Mex- Mexico, you are also familiar with Mezcal. Um, I want to say that in Austin, this is, this is probably, and um, by the way, no research done on this part. These are just, um, guesses, (laughs) which is, listen, some of this podcast, uh, will be about research and some of it will just be once again, how I feel about something spiritually, not scientifically. So I do feel that Austin, Austin is is pretty mezcal forward. Um, so, so if you're in a city that, that sort of focuses on this spirit, then, then you, you probably already understand where it's coming from. Right. So one of the things I learned when I first kind of started drinking mezcal was that tequila is a mezcal but not all mezcals are tequila. And now why is that? Because mezcal essentially can be an alcoholic drink that is made from fermented agave juice. That's just like the term of it. And then we can get more and more specific. Um, Tequila is also a fermented agave juice, but tequila is... um, steamed. Uh, it's not roasted in the same way. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't have that smoky quality for that reason. Um, tequila is typically made, um, and distilled in, uh, copper pots. And actually there's apparently a lot of, um, mezcal companies that do also, uh, go ahead and distill in copper pots, but the traditional way of doing it is, fermenting it in clay. And, um, it's a, it's a pretty arduous process. We'll get into that. Um, so, so there, those are the distinctions. Both of them really started the idea of fermenting agave juice, which was called pulque. I think it still is called pulque. P-U-L-Q-U-E. Um, is essentially uh, pre-Hispanic times. Um, it is from Mexico, uh, but agave, uh, fermented agave came from Mesoamerican culture. So it was an indigenous spirit. Um, and 
then essentially that started, let's just say like a little under 2000 years is where, is where most, most people agree. Um, used for rituals, um, reserved for certain social classes, kind of, kind of the same sort of trajectory that I would say a lot of spirits, uh, get to, you know, um, and then essentially, uh, with the Spanish around 1600s, uh, that process started to get, I, I, standardization is not the word for it, right? Because it's, because the cool thing about Mezcal is that, um, it, it kind of bucks against the idea of standardization. So I don't want to use that word. I guess, uh, I guess it became more of a concrete method. All of these words are bad. I'm going to circle back on, on how exactly I want to say that. Probably not in this episode. Maybe we'll explore that next episode. But essentially, um, this is where, this is where it gets a little bit of like, a reliable narrator situation. Okay. So the fermentation in the clay pots, um, essentially there is, there is the idea that this was happening, this was happening before the Spanish, um, arrived in Mexico. Then there's also the idea that, uh, the clay pot fermentation system came from the Philippines originally and was brought by, um, Spaniards, uh, in Mexico. But how were they fermenting the agave if not from ice? So for me, I feel like, I feel like this is probably part of that indigenous, indigenous, um, method of fermentation. Cause it's an, it's still a very old way of fermenting something. Right. And it's sort of like through trial and error. I mean, a lot of, a lot of things were being fermented in clay. This is, or this is just across the board, right? In India, we're fermenting in clay as well, because it's a non-reactive, it's a non-reactive way to ferment something. Uh, clay is, uh, you know, actually an amazing conductor for fermentation. You're not going to get something tinny. You're not going to get some chemical in your food. You are going to impart flavor in your food. So there's a lot of reasons why a lot of cultures ferment in clay. So I I have reason to believe that in the Philippines, they were fermenting in clay and that I have reason to believe that Mesoamericans um, were fermenting in clay. This is, this is also sort of that phenomenon of like, I think about it often, right? In, in Mexico, um, they were fermenting corn in India in South India, especially were fermenting rice. You know, there's, there's a lot of sort of similar values because here's the big secret, right? <laughs> I do find this is like, this is kind of like an, interesting thing that humans do of like, well, how did this human across, across an ocean know how to do this while in the Philippines they're doing that? We all forget that like, we're all human and that's how, right? Like they have the same cognitive skills 
as they do in the Philippines at the same time? And could it not be possible that maybe two different cultures that have never met each other uh, formally were able to figure something out just on the basis that we're the same species? I, I don't know. For me, I think this is where... Uh, when we talk about colonization, especially colonization in this very specific way, it's, it's like we're, we're so hesitant to, to sort of just acknowledge like maybe the product was already close to perfect, if not perfect. Do you know what I'm saying? This is where you say, yes, yes, Deepa, of course, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, great point, Deepa. Um, it it just seems a little bit like and then and then the spanish came and and taught and taught people how to do this thing properly a couple questions here right the spanish uh you know when they arrived in mexico they were not familiar with the agave plant period so how how do they become the authority on this thing that was happening for a long time before they even came to Mexico? It's it's really interesting when you read these things in these articles. I feel like those are where the gaps are. Those are where it just doesn't feel interrogated. We want to say the reason why the product became a thing is because colonizers came to our country and showed us how to be smarter or better. Um, so that's why that's why I try to stay away from that idea, especially when you start really looking into, first of all, how cool mezcal is, uh, how how different it can be, all the different ways you can distill something, how they impart flavor. To me, it feels very of, of the place. I would even say more than gin, more than rum. Um, I, I can't say whiskey because I, I feel like I, I've drank a lot of whiskey, but I, I feel like I've, I'm not as informed on it. But mezcal feels like already something, it, it, it feels formed from 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 the culture it comes from so especially when you're talking about the idea that this agave was being fermented what were they fermenting it in in their hands waiting around forever no why couldn't it have been clay anyways so those are things i mean it listen this this is this is like you know my first foray into learning a lot of where this origin story is coming from. If you know the answer, if you're a Mezcal expert, if you're somebody who has a Mezcal company and you're like, oh, you dumb, dumb, dummy, let me tell you a little bit about it. Feel free. Let me know. So many people do that. I, I love when a winemaker just D, DMs me and is like, actually, Deepa, this is a very simple question. And, <laughs> and here's a, a very simple answer for it. So don't, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely asking. Um, but as far as I can read, that's, that's where it gets really, really sticky. Okay. So anyways, 
2,000 years, uh, we're, we're, we're somewhere close to this timeline, right? 2,000 years, and then um, in the 1600s, uh, that feels like an important time in this whole um, Mezcal history. And then, and then, are you, are you ready for this? This part, this part felt a little bit wild to me. So, it was only 150 years ago when agave spirits started to be introduced outside of Mexico, which makes a lot of sense, right? Because I feel like mezcal, mez, mezcal for me feels very solidified in the past 10 years, like in, in the zeitgeist, obviously solidified much longer as we've already just talked about. But when I started seeing it pop up around me, you know, in bars, on cocktail menus, you know, people suggesting to do pop-ups pairing with mezcal. If it felt like almost like, what is this thing? How come I've never heard of it? Da 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 da. So it's crazy. Only 150 years ago, no one, no one outside of Mexico really understood this product or knew of this product, just agave spirits in general. We're not just talking about mezcal. We're talking about tequila here. So a very, very um, new introduction to agave spirits, okay? Uh, What really pushed basically uh, the tequila, uh, parentheses, mezcal industry was prohibition. Prohibition. What a beautiful marketing tool for just alcohol in general. Like <laughs> prohibition really put alcohol on the map. Like in a in a big way I feel. Huge, huge thing. To just sort of be like alcohol, you want it get it get it in droves. <laughs> so, uh tequila really got its uh like got like a huge boost uh, through Prohibition, which I find to be really kind of amazing. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how how it's come to be. So what exactly is is this uh, when we talk about fermented agave, what are we what are we talking about here? Okay, so um, another reason why tequila and mezcal are different is because tequila uses one specific agave. It's this blue Weber agave. This has to be the kind of agave if you're saying I'm making tequila. Um, mezcal can be basically manufactured by a, a variety of uh, agave plants. Um, it's, it's the distillation is where it also sort of um, starts to starts to defer, right? So tequila, tequila goes through essentially the steaming. I do think that they do roast some, some articles say they roast, some articles talk about steaming. Um, but it's, it's also distilled in copper pots. That's, that's how you're making tequila mezcal, um, typically in these clay pots. Um, and they're in pits and they're lined with lava rocks. And they're like basically being distilled halfway underground and uh, covered with charcoal and wood. 
So that's that's where you get a lot of that that bigger, smokier, distinct flavor. Uh, Oaxaca is basically the mezcal capital uh, in the world. About like I think one article states like ninety five percent production. One article says ninety percent, but just uh, most mezcal is happening in Oaxaca. Um. So yeah, now let's talk about kind of the kinds of mezcal. Um, so there's, there's, from what I'm gathering, there's about one, two, three, four, five, five different kinds, different kinds of mezcal. Um, so the first one is Hoven, um, which is a Spanish word. I am... <laughs> So, here, here is something, um, here's something that I think we should just go ahead and get it right off the tippy top. Now, now I, I know that everyone really enjoyed my, my French pronunciations, um, you know, this somehow is going to be worse. I think it's because I'm just too in my head. I also feel like a, a real pronounced embarrassment of of being. I, I, I'm a Texan, and if I'm not speaking basically uh, Spanish in a professional kitchen, it just all sorts of start. It, it I I get very nervous about how bad my Spanish is. Um, and so. So we're just going to do our best. And once again, feel free. Feel free to DM me and be like, Deepa, you, you, you idiot. This is how you say it. Help me, help me, as I like to say. Uh, Hoven. Hoven. So I've, I've seen it say Hoven and then Hoven. Someone please help me out. Um, but it's a Spanish word that means young or bright or clear. And essentially, it's just an unaged mezcal. Reposado, uh, this means rested. So it's a darker, uh, smokier mezcal uh, because it's been uh, essentially flavored with the wood, that charcoal and that wood. Um, to be reposado, it has to be uh, essentially rested, rested quote unquote, uh, for at least two months. But still less than a year. It's still, we're still like, it's not, it's not like, it, it has to be less than a year. That's all. Añejo, which means vintage. Now this is like a, a, the darkest mezcal, okay? And this is aged for also almost a year. Um, less than a, less Less, less, significantly less than a year is reposado. Añejo is um, nearly a year. I'd like to know what those months are, but, and I feel like you must be like a real expert to be able to taste a reposado and then an añejo and know the difference. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, avocado is a flavored or infused mezcal. So this is where um, 
we start to get into worm territory, which is, it's actually a moth larva, uh, which kind of lends it to that almost sweetness. It comes from the worm. Um, I've got a, I got a worm story for you. Quick, quick little worm detour here. So I think this was my first, first official year of living in Austin. And, um, whenever, whenever, uh, my first year in Austin was super fun, mostly because it was like, just still filled with lots of college friends. Um, my very good friend still to this day, Zach, um, shout out Zach. He, he does not live in San Antonio anymore, but sometimes would come up, um, from San Antonio to Austin. We would basically just, just, you know, when you're 23, 24, you would just party, party like that's the only thing to do all day. Right. Um, (laughs) and Zach introduced me to the Texas chili parlor. Uh, where you get a mad dog margarita. And sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> if there was an important game or, uh, you know, it's a, it's a Saturday, you're saying to yourself, I know it's noon, but Zach, should we go to, um, should we go to Texas Chili Parlor? And then our friends can meet us there. We'll just we'll just sort of camp there, you know, <laughs> as you would. By the way, I love Texas Chili Parlor. I am very proud to say that I am no longer a regular. I still go just just to like get a get a Mad Dog Margarita here and there. Um, um, a guy Clark wrote a very good song about Mad Dog Margaritas. Shout out Texas Chili Parlor. Um, but there was one day <laughs> where we decided that we were going to start start drinking margaritas and then just having a side of shots, as you would, right? As you would when you are an idiot, uh, barely out of college. And uh, I believe uh, there was a bottle of mezcal that was slowly about to, I mean, quickly about to be finished, right? And we were going to be able, someone was able to get the worm. And I don't know, I think we did a little bet with the bartender. I lost, uh, consequently, and that meant that I was going to have the worm. And there's, there's a lot of belief that the worm is hallucinogenic. Um, you know, it's, it just sort of, it just sort of like kicks things into high gear as it would, as it will. And I have no idea. I have no idea. So when I read a little bit, I did a little bit of worm research. And I mean the tiniest bit of worm research here. Most, most people are saying that this is, um, this is a, an old wives tale. Um, but it will get you drunker. And then there are, there's also a couple articles that are saying, yeah, you probably aren't going to be, this is not like shrooms or something, but, um, there, there is reason to believe, 
um, even though it is not proven in humans, but there's reason to believe that this particular worm does have a, a couple hallucinogenic effects uh, on other animals. Anyways, maybe it's just that if you introduce the idea to an idiot uh, drinking you know, Texas Chili Parlor, Texas Chili Parlor, and she's 23 years old. She's about to have the worm. Perhaps, perhaps that hits it into high gear. I, let me tell you. (laughs) I felt, I felt like I was hallucinating. Uh, Is this a placebo effect? Who's to say? Um, But that's, that's neither here nor there. I, you know, there, there are some podcasts that I, I really want my parents to listen to. And then there's some podcasts that I'm just sort of like, hmm, you know, I hope, I hope this one just, we're, we're able to just skip over this one. <laughs> Thank you guys for always supporting me. I really do appreciate it. Love you, mom and dad. Um, where are we? Okay. So that's avocado and then, uh, destilado con which means distilled with. This is the type of mezcal that adds extra ingredients, which um, leads me to to where we're going with this. Um, These are extra tastes, flavors that they're going to be adding um, uh, on the second distillation. So that brings me to something that I... Um, I recently learned about, which is pachuga, which is a type of pachuga mezcal, essentially is a mezcal that is being flavored with meat. Um, and that's going to be the next, the next episode. I really want to focus on that, um, and kind of the origins of that, but that is what they're talking about when they're saying distilled with. There are so many ways to flavor this incredibly already labor-intensive distillation process. You know, where this isn't like whiskey where it's sitting in a barrel. This is this is something that feels like. First off, they're having to grow an agave plant that takes seven years, right around then they have to chop off the leaves and then they have to get to the uh, pina, which is essentially means like pineapple, uh, which is the the heart of the uh, agave plant. And that's about 80 to 200 pounds. And that's, uh, that's what is going to make your mezcal or tequila, right? They have to then hollow out this heart take out all of this like white fleshy, like dud material. They can't, they're not going to use it. So we're already talking about something that has taken so much to just get to that process. Now imagine having this thing, you know, roasting the shit out of it, burying it in a fire pit, um, and then having this really labor-intensive distillation process using clay. So once we get into the pachuga mezcals, you know, I feel like when we're talking about the wines, especially in the natural wines that we uh, review on this podcast, typically we're going in the 20s, 30s, $40 bottles of wine. We're not, we're not getting too crazy price. 
Uh, when we're talking about mezcal, we're talking about these $200 bottles, these $150 bottles. The reason why it is that way is because this is, this is not just we're putting it somewhere. And, and yes, even though whiskey takes a long time, whiskey is a huge investment. All of all spirits are an investment, right? It's not just the investment of waiting for the thing to be fermented slash distilled, right? We are also doing things, actively doing things to this product. It is why mezcal also tends to be incredibly small batch because this is an incredibly special liquor. Um, so yeah, let's let's leave it at that for right for right now because I feel like this this is this is as much this is as comfortable as I get right now. Um, next podcast we'll also have um, a recipe in the Substack notes and. Um, this podcast, I'll make sure to put down, I'll, let me see if I can put like about like at least five of the best articles I feel, um, help me kind of figure out what's going on here. Uh, coming up on the Substack, So working on a couple newsletters, hopefully we will not be teasing this out for, I don't know. Three months? What is it? Two months? Three months? I think it was longer than three months. Um, I'm I'm working on on cranking things out a little bit faster. 2023. Ooh, you know, everything feels new and doable in in January. But I, I yeah, I think we can do it. Um, and then um, basically, at least two more mezcal uh podcasts. And a couple interviews are in the works as well. Thank you guys for always supporting. Um, and I think this is going to be this is going to be the um, last podcast before before Christmas. So if you celebrate, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, you know. Hope you at least get to hang out with some people that you enjoy, that you like. I really need to wrap this up. (laughs) Merry Christmas. I'm going to get the fuck out of here. Goodbye.